in the United States District Court for the District of Columbia. United States of America v. Donald J. Trump, Defendant. Violations. Count 1. 18 U.S.C. Section 371. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Count 2. 18 U.S.C. Section 1512K. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count 3. 18 U.S.C. Sections 1512C2 and 2. Obstruction of and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Count 4. 18 U.S.C. Section 241. Conspiracy Against Rights. Indictment. The grand jury charges that, at all times material to this indictment, on or about the dates, and at the approximate times stated below, 1. The defendant, Donald J. Trump, was the 45th President of the United States and a candidate for re-election in 2020. The defendant lost the 2020 presidential election. 2. Despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. So for more than two months following Election Day on November 3, 2020, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. These claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. But the defendant repeatedly and widely disseminated them anyway to make his knowingly false claims appear legitimate create an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger, and erode public faith in the administration of the election. 3. The defendant had a right, like every American, to speak publicly about the election and even to claim falsely that there had been outcome-determinative fraud during the election and that he had won. He was also entitled to formally challenge the results of the election through lawful and appropriate means, such as by seeking recounts or audits of the popular vote in states, or filing lawsuits challenging ballots and procedures. Indeed, in many cases, the defendant did pursue these methods of contesting the election results. His efforts to change the outcome in any state through recounts, audits, or legal challenges, were uniformly unsuccessful. 4. Shortly after Election Day, the defendant also pursued unlawful means of discounting legitimate votes and subverting the election results. In so doing, the defendant perpetrated three criminal conspiracies. A. A conspiracy to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 371. B. A conspiracy to corruptly obstruct and impede the January 6th congressional proceeding at which the collected results of the presidential election are counted and certified. 
the certification proceeding. In violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 1512K and C, a conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's vote counted, in violation of 18 U.S.C. Section 241. Each of these conspiracies, which built on the widespread mistrust the defendant was creating through pervasive and destabilizing lies about election fraud, targeted a bedrock function of the United States federal government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election, the federal government function. Count 1. Conspiracy to Defraud the United States, 18 U.S.C. Section 371. The allegations contained in paragraphs 1 through 4 of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. The Conspiracy From on or about November 14, 2020, through on or about January 20, 2021, in the District of Columbia and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with co-conspirators, known and unknown to the grand jury, to defraud the United States by using dishonesty, fraud, and deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the lawful federal government function by which the results of the presidential election are collected, counted, and certified by the federal government. Purpose of the Conspiracy The purpose of the conspiracy was to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election by using knowingly false claims of election fraud to obstruct the federal government function by which those results are collected, counted, and certified. The Defendant's Co-Conspirators The defendant enlisted co-conspirators to assist him in his criminal efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election and retain power. Among these were A. Co-Conspirator 1, an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims, and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign attorneys would not. B. Co-conspirator 2, an attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role overseeing certification proceeding to obstruct the certification of the presidential election. C. Co-conspirator 3, an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud the defendant privately acknowledged to others sounded crazy. Nonetheless, the defendant embraced and publicly amplified Co-conspirator 3's disinformation. D. Co-conspirator 4, a Justice Department official who worked on civil matters and who, with the defendant, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud. E. 
co-conspirator 5, an attorney who assisted in devising and attempting to implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. F. Co-conspirator 6, a political consultant who helped implement a plan to submit fraudulent slates of presidential electors to obstruct the certification proceeding. The Federal Government Function The federal government function by which the results of the election for President of the United States are collected, counted, and certified was established through the Constitution and the Electoral Count Act, or ECA, a federal law enacted in 1887. The Constitution provided that individuals called electors select the president and that each state determined for itself how to appoint the electors apportioned to it. Through state laws, each of the 50 states and the District of Columbia chose to select their electors based on the popular vote in the state. After Election Day, the ECA required each state to formally determine or ascertain the electors who would represent the state's voters by casting electoral votes on behalf of the candidate who had won the popular vote, and required the executive of each state to certify to the federal government the identities of those electors. Then, on a date set by the ECA, each state's ascertained electors were required to meet and collect the results of the presidential election, that is, to cast electoral votes based on their state's popular vote, and to send their electoral votes along with the state executive certification that they were the state's legitimate electors to the United States Congress to be counted and certified in an official proceeding. Finally, the Constitution and ECA required that, on the 6th of January following Election Day, the Congress meet in a joint session for a certification proceeding, presided over by the Vice President as President of the Senate, to count the electoral votes, resolve any objections, and announce the result, thus certifying the winner of the presidential election as President-elect. This federal government function, from the point of ascertainment to the certification, is foundational to the United States democratic process, and until 2021 had operated in a peaceful and orderly manner for more than 130 years. Manner and Means the defendant's conspiracy to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function through dishonesty, fraud, and deceit include the following manner and means. A. The defendant and co-conspirators used knowingly false claims of election fraud to get state legislators and election officials to subvert the legitimate election results and exchange electoral votes for the defendant's opponent, Joseph R. Biden Jr., to electoral votes for the defendant. That is, on the pretext of baseless fraud claims, the defendant pushed officials in certain states to ignore the popular vote, 
disenfranchise millions of voters, dismiss legitimate electors, and ultimately cause the ascertainment of and voting by illegitimate electors in favor of the defendant. B. The defendant and co-conspirators organized fraudulent slates of electors in seven targeted states. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, attempting to mimic the procedures that the legitimate electors were supposed to follow under the Constitution and other federal and state laws. This included causing the fraudulent electors to meet on the day appointed by federal law on which legitimate electors were to gather and cast their votes, cast fraudulent votes for the defendant, and sign certificates falsely representing that they were legitimate electors. Some fraudulent electors were tricked into participating based on the understanding that their votes would be used only if the defendant succeeded in outcome-determinative lawsuits within their state, which the defendant never did. The defendant and co-conspirators then caused these fraudulent electors to transmit their false certificates to the vice president and other government officials to be counted at the certification proceeding on January 6th. C. The defendant and co-conspirators attempted to use the power and authority of the Justice Department to conduct sham election crime investigations and to send a letter to the targeted states that falsely claimed that the Justice Department had identified significant concerns that may have impacted the election outcome that sought to advance the defendant's fraudulent elector plan by using the Justice Department's authority to falsely present the fraudulent electors as a valid alternative to the legitimate electors, and that urged on behalf of the Justice Department the targeted state's legislatures to convene to create the opportunity to choose the fraudulent electors over the legitimate electors. D. The defendant and co-conspirators attempted to enlist the vice president to use his ceremonial role at the January 6 certification proceeding to fraudulently alter the election results. First, using knowingly false claims of election fraud, the defendant and co-conspirators attempted to convince the vice president to use the defendant's fraudulent electors reject legitimate electoral votes, or send legitimate electoral votes to state legislatures for review rather than counting them. When that failed, on the morning of January 6, the defendant and co-conspirators repeated knowingly false claims of election fraud to gathered supporters, falsely told them that the vice president had the authority to and might alter the election results and directed them to the Capitol to obstruct the certification proceeding and exert pressure on the vice president to take the fraudulent actions he had previously refused. E. After it became public on the afternoon of January 6th 
that the vice president would not fraudulently alter the election results. A large and angry crowd, including many individuals whom the defendant had deceived into believing the vice president could and might change the election results, violently attacked the Capitol and halted the proceeding. As violence ensued, the defendant and co-conspirators exploited the disruption by redoubling efforts to levy false claims of election fraud and convince members of Congress to further delay the certification based on those claims. The Defendant's Knowledge of the Falsity of His Election Fraud Claims The defendant, his co-conspirators, and their agents made knowingly false claims that there had been outcome-determinative fraud in the 2020 presidential election. These prolific lies about election fraud included dozens of specific claims that there had been substantial fraud in certain states, such as that large numbers of dead, non-resident, non-citizen, or otherwise ineligible voters had cast ballots, or that voting machines had changed votes for the defendant to votes for Biden. These claims were false, and the defendant knew that they were false. In fact, the defendant was notified repeatedly that his claims were untrue, often by the people on whom he relied for candid advice on important matters, and who were best positioned to know the facts and he deliberately disregarded the truth. For instance, A. The defendant's vice president, who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's ticket, and whom the defendant asked to study fraud allegations, told the defendant that he had seen no evidence of outcome-determinative fraud. B the senior leaders of the Justice Department, appointed by the defendant and responsible for investigating credible allegations of election crimes, told the defendant on multiple occasions that various allegations of fraud were unsupported. C. The Director of National Intelligence, the defendant's principal advisor on intelligence matters related to national security, disabused the defendant of the notion that the intelligence community's findings regarding foreign interference would change the outcome of the election. D. The Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, whose existence the defendant signed into law to protect the nation's cybersecurity infrastructure from attack, joined an official multi-agency statement that there was no evidence any voting system had been compromised and that declared the 2020 election the most secure in American history. Days later, after the CISA director, whom the defendant had appointed, announced publicly that election security experts were in agreement that claims of computer-based election fraud were unsubstantiated, the defendant fired him. E. Senior White House Attorneys 
selected by the defendant to provide him candid advice, informed the defendant that there was no evidence of outcome-determinative election fraud, and told him that his presidency would end on Inauguration Day in 2021. F. Senior staffers on the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign, defendant's campaign or campaign, whose sole mission was the defendant's re-election, told the defendant on November 7, 2020, that he had only a 5-10% to chance of prevailing in the election, and that success was contingent on the defendant winning ongoing vote counts or litigation in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. Within a week of that assessment, the defendant lost in Arizona, meaning he had lost the election. G. State legislators and officials many of whom were the defendant's political allies, had voted for him and wanted him to be re-elected, repeatedly informed the defendant that his claims of fraud in their states were unsubstantiated or false and resisted his pressure to act based upon them. H. State and Federal Courts the neutral arbiters responsible for ensuring the fair and even-handed administration of election laws, rejected every outcome-determinative post-election lawsuit filed by the defendant, his co-conspirators, and allies, providing the defendant real-time notice that his allegations were meritless. The defendant widely disseminated his false claims of election fraud for months, despite the fact that he knew, and in many cases had been informed directly, that they were not true. The defendant's knowingly false statements were integral to his criminal plans to defeat the federal government function, obstruct the certification, and interfere with others' right to vote and have their votes counted. He made these knowingly false claims throughout the post-election time period, including those below that he made immediately before the attack on the Capitol on January 6th. A. The defendant insinuated that more than 10,000 dead voters had voted in Georgia. Just four days earlier, Georgia's Secretary of State had explained to the defendant that this was false. B. The defendant asserted that there had been 205,000 more votes than voters in Pennsylvania. The defendant's acting attorney general and acting deputy attorney general had explained to him that this was false. C. The defendant said that there had been a suspicious vote dump in Detroit, Michigan. The defendant's attorney general had explained to the defendant that this was false, and the defendant's allies in the Michigan state legislature, the Speaker of the House of Representatives and Majority Leader of the Senate, had publicly announced that there was no evidence of substantial fraud in the state. D. The defendant claimed that there had been tens of thousands of double votes and other fraud in Nevada. 
the Nevada Secretary of State had previously rebutted the defendant's fraud claims by publicly posting a facts versus myths document, explaining that Nevada judges had reviewed and rejected them, and the Nevada Supreme Court had rendered a decision denying such claims. E. The defendant said that more than 30,000 non-citizens had voted in Arizona. The defendant's own campaign manager had explained to him that such claims were false, and the Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, who had supported the defendant in the election, had issued a public statement that there was no evidence of substantial fraud in Arizona. F. The defendant asserted that voting machines in various contested states had switched votes from the defendant to Biden. The defendant's attorney general, acting attorney general, and acting deputy attorney general all had explained to him that this was false, and numerous recounts and audits had confirmed the accuracy of voting machines. We've come to the end of part one of this indictment. Next episode, we will pick up where we left off on page nine. Until then, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.